Overflow podcast. We pray that you are encouraged with this message. For more information, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, Psalm 91, 1 through 16, here it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side. 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Lord the, the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Word. Then he will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him with long life, and I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So we're launching this series today talking about refuge. What, what, what are we talking about when we use that word? I think a lot of times in the kingdom, we, we kind of have this language that we use, right? We just kind of have these words that are spiritual that we kind of throw around, but they don't really have any meaning, right? We might associate it with a feeling, or we think that we think that we know what it means. I think probably you think you know what it means, but a lot of times, as, if we just kind of explore our vernacular a little bit, if we, we'll start exploring the things that we're talking about, then the, then the words that we say will have more weight, Right? I mean, you know, we can just throw people, Christians are notorious for throwing around what we call Christianese, you know, going around and saying all these things that sound real spiritual, but they don't really have any weight to them because, because we're just kind of blabbing. Right? We're just kind of throwing words out there. And uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak some things that you don't have a full comprehension to, because I believe that one of the ways that you get a greater comprehension is by speaking things. Come on. And so we do need to speak things. But I believe that one of the things that, that, is really on my heart as as the as the pastor here is to really kind of bring some things that maybe you're saying or that you're seeing shed a little bit more light on it and to give a little bit more revelation on it that's my job is to equip you with the word so you can be uh, so you can function better so you can be a better minister and i believe that if we have a greater understanding of what we're talking about then what we talk about actually has power on it it's not just words right and uh, how many of y'all are just sick of just words, but you want your words to carry a weight. You want it to have glory on it. That word glory in, 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 in Scripture actually means the weight. The kabod means the weight of God. So when we talk about the glory of God, we're not talking about, you know, something visual. We'll see. We're actually talking about something that's tangible that has weight to it, right? And so we want the glory on our vernacular, on the words that we say, on, on, the, on, the, on the life that we live. We want it to carry the glory of God. We want to have that weight on it because weight makes a difference, right? Y'all okay? I'm already preaching better than your 
Amen. And so y'all going to have to get it, get it in gear. We're going to be here till 2 o'clock. All right. So what are we talking about when we use this word refuge? And I want to explore this topic. I want to spend the next weeks, four, six weeks, something like that, uh, just exploring this idea of God being our refuge. Because we say that all the time, right? And uh, we're like, oh, God, you're my refuge. And we don't think about it. We don't think about it. So we sing songs. We're like, oh, you're my refuge. Carry on next lyric. And the thing is, is there's no way. We don't really, we're just kind of are you guys with me? I mean, I do it all the time. And so what I wanted to do is I just want to explore this topic a little bit. So the word refuge actually means shelter or protection from danger or trouble. It's a place that provides shelter or protection. So as Americans, as humans, we, we, are, we, we really value this thing called safety and security, right? We download software on our computers so that we're secure. Uh, we make sure that we buy uh, identity protection or we get credit cards that are secure. We, we're careful with our passwords. We do all these things. We buy alarm systems for our homes to keep our belongings safe. Some of us hire lawyers to protect our assets. Uh, some of us carry firearms or have firearms to protect our family. We want, and then when we go to look for a job, we want a, a job with good benefits that would include health care, right? Just in case something happens. Why? Because we value security. We're very precautious as society. I'm, I'm using that word carefully and not saying fearful because I don't believe that you're necessarily fearful because you're being precautious. But sometimes those things can be driven by fear. How many of y'all met some of, well, what if something happens? How many know there's a difference between saying what if something happens or in case something happens? So insurance is there in case something happens, not what if something happens. Uh, when Leslie and I decided that we were going to have all of our children at home, uh, you know, 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, everybody kept saying this, well, what if something happens? And we're like, well, do you not know that, like, most of the babies that are born in the world are born not in a hospital? <laughs> most of the babies that are born in the world are, are born at home. And most of their homes are, are way less sanitary than our homes, and uh, at least in our opinion of it. And then... So people just freak out. Well, what if something happens? Well, we have a backup plan in case something happens, but something probably won't, right? And uh, just just to let you guys know, about nine percent of Americans' income is used for insurance. That's a lot. That's almost a tithe, right? So we do this, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Americans, listen. Healthcare is a trillion dollar a year industry. Healthcare. Isn't that crazy that we, we go through great lengths to make sure that we're safe, to make sure that we're secure, that we have our health. And I, I believe that we should. We should, we should make sure that we, we do things just in case something happens. There's some wisdom there. But we want to make sure that we never mistake wisdom for fear. Right? Come on, are you with me? Um, our homes, when we buy a home, we want a sturdy home. Why? What is our home? Our home is a source of protection. Our clothing a source of protection. With Leslie and I watch this uh, show called Naked and Afraid. We don't watch it because it's got the word naked in it. I don't know some of y'all probably think we're unspiritual. Uh, but one of the things that protect these people is actually their clothing. So they go out and they drop them off in these remote locations, and they're naked. They don't have a house. They don't have anything. They usually got like one item to kind of help them along the way. But then the, the thing that they start looking for first is shelter. Why? Because they want to be protected from the elements. Security is a big deal. And can I tell you today that you should value security? 
Because life is sacred. Right? Amen? Don't we believe that life is sacred? So because we believe that life is precious, because life is very sacred, we also know that we have a responsibility to manage it and steward it well. Right? So we do need to be careful about what we eat. Right? You probably don't need to eat McDonald's ever three times a day or a week. Right? Why? Because you want to make sure that you are being a good steward of the life that you've given. You want to make sure that you bring some protection. So I believe more than ever before, people are more, you know, when I was a kid, you ate whatever. You know, you, you didn't look at the content. You didn't worry about preservatives and all that kind of stuff. People are like, well, it's different now. And, yes, we've been enlightened. And I understand all that. But we can't live with fear. And, and I, I think that that is very important. But life is sacred, and it is good that we would concern ourselves to manage and protect human life well. Now, the thing is, is as the righteous, as we just read in this scripture, as the righteous, we have a greater protection, right? We have greater protection than Blue Cross Blue Shield or Obamacare or whatever it is that people are. We have a greater protection. We have a better investment policy in the kingdom than anybody can offer you. You know, we get phone calls. I mean, insurance, huge deal. I get phone calls. Oh, hey, you need to make sure that you protect. Yes, yes, yes. But can I tell you that those things are great, and I'm not speaking against those things. I think those things are great. But, the, but we have a greater security as the children of God. We are in the hands of of the God of all creation, that God is our protector, that God is our provider, that God is our resource. And I think it's very, very uh, natural for us so many times in our lives that we, that our default is to do things the world's way, right? So what happens is we get sick and we go to the medicine cabinet or to the doctor instead of going to the Lord, Right? Our bank account looks scary or we need to make an investment. So what do we do? We call up a consultant, right? We call up an investment agent. We call up somebody that knows something about that and we don't ever consult the Lord. Can I tell you that he is the one that we should run to first, always for these things. There's nothing wrong with healthcare. Thank God for Advil. Amen. I take it more often than I, I like. I'm glad it's there, but it should not be my go-to. My go-to is Jesus Proverbs 18.10, and this is really the, the staple of our series. I love this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So we're safe because we're righteous, because God has positioned us so. But we're safe in what? The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, God's identity. The identity of Jesus is what gives us the protection that we need. Now, when we talk about Strong Tower, you know, we could sing songs about that. We can say refuge. But I want to explore what that is in in biblical times and even... uh, not so much now, but maybe medieval times and things like that. We This terminology was common. You would have what's called a strong tower. Sometimes it would be called a tower of refuge or a watchtower. And basically what these were, we have some pictures of those, is they were towers that would be kind of set out something like this. How many of you all have seen something like this before? Or if you're playing chess, you have a rook, right? And uh, I, I was looking at pictures, and Elisa was sitting with me the other day, and I was kind of Googling some of these images, and she goes, 
castle. <laughs> it's like, good job, baby. And so it's actually not a castle, but it's kind of a standalone structure that's kind of away from, I think we have another one. This one is actually uh, in the Grand Canyon. They have this there. And these are what we, what we would call, when we say strong tower or refuge, or uh, we would call, in some cases, a watchtower. Now, sometimes these would be attached to a city wall, right? We've seen that before. Like castles have these towers on them. And what, what would happen is there would be a man that's in there that's, that's a watchman. And these provided several things. The first thing about these buildings is they're positioned strategically. Uh, like a lighthouse on land or in the wilderness, the outskirts of a city, they were established by militaries as, as a place of refuge for soldiers. So if you were a soldier and you were out fighting and you got separated from your crew, there was these towers out there within your region that you were running around in that you could kind of like scan the land for with your eyes and look around and maybe see that tower in the distance because it was poking up above the mountains, above the trees, and all those things. It was normally set up on a high place. And so if you were out there as a soldier or just a traveler, a sojourner, and you belonged to that kingdom, what you could do is you could just look out wherever that was or you could walk a little further, and eventually you would find yourself a strong tower. You would find yourself a watchtower. You find yourself a tower of refuge and you could see that and then all of a sudden you could you could now have a greater sense of direction and start walking towards that thing when you got to that tower inside that tower there were several things the first thing that you would get is what we're talking about today is you would find protection so they're positioned strategically and then there's protection protection from the elements if it's raining if it's hot like it's been lately you could go to this tower and find shade. You could find protection. They're were, they were, they were fortified uh, with, with stones. So if your enemies were pursuing you, if they were chasing you down, this is why David spoke so many times, sung so many songs about God being his refuge because David was a man that spent a lot of his life on the run. And in fact, many of the psalms that he wrote were talking about him running from his enemies. People were out to kill him. That's what happens when you, when you love Jesus and you want to make a difference, right? When you love God, like David loved God, when your heart longs after God, people will hate you for that. And so there's going to be a place that you've got to run to. And so David was, was used to finding these places that he would be able to go to and find, uh, get away from everybody. And he, he used this vernacular. He used this language because he knew that God was really his safe place, his place of hiding. He could go there for the protection. They were fortified with stone. They were virtually resistant to attacks. They were protective. Uh, the third thing is, is you could find rest there. How many know that once you're safe, you can rest? Right? If, you've, if you feel unsafe, how, how good do you rest? If you hear noises at night in your house, like sounds like somebody's break, trying to break in, you're not going to rest very well, are you, until you get up and take care of that and make sure that everything's okay. Or if something's troubling you, right? You're afraid. You're dealing with insecurity. You're dealing with all this stuff. It's hard to find rest. But the thing is, is when we take place, when, when these soldiers or sojourners would go out and they would find this refuge, they could go into this place and they could find rest. They could sit they would lay there, they could sleep there, they could be comfortable there because they knew that they were protected. The fourth thing is they would find provisions there. These things were kept stocked with clothing, with food, with rations, uh, medical supplies, anything that they would need to help them get to where they were going was found in this place of refuge. And the fifth thing was there was personnel there. Usually there would be a man working a shift probably days, they probably worked days at a time, and they had work shifts, and we would call them the watchmen. 
right? And there's a lot of scripture about watchmen. Many times the watchmen were on the walls of the city, but, but many times also in these towers, there would be a man that would occupy there, uh, some, a soldier there on duty to fight off enemies. If you're running, they'd be up there with a bow and arrow to strike your enemies as you're running up to this tower, man. And you're just running, you're going, and he's like, don't worry about it. Just get in the tower. I'm going to take care of it, right? Just get inside. You'll be okay. And not only, listen, how many know that we don't just need uh, people there for our protection, but we also need people there for our companionship. So if you've been out and you've been alone for all these, all, all these days and maybe even possibly years and you've been running trying to find your way home, you get there. How many know that, that, that it's good to have somebody there, that the journey is, that, it, that, it, that there's comfort in, in, in finding someone there? How many all know that home isn't a place that you live in? It's the people that you surround yourself with, right? And, um, and it would be the same thing with that. I mean, and one of the first things that you would look for would be some kind of companionship, someone to encourage you, someone to tell you what's been happening while you were out, right? Someone to, to download the, the news for you. So, so we found this. All these things are found in what we would call a tower of refuge. So I want you guys to remember that every time you think about that, when you talk about Jesus being your refuge, I want you to think about that, that he's the place that I run to, that I can find, that he, he is, he's positioned strategically. He is easy to find. God is not hard to find. He has made it very easy that, that, that he offers protection, that, he is, that he, there is rest in him, that there is provisions in him, that there is personnel, that Jesus has provided a kingdom, and you are not alone. And we're, when we talk about you're not alone, we're not just saying that Jesus is just there with you all the time. We're talking about there's actually people there with skin on that can help you, right? So what is our tower? According to, to our scripture that we're looking at, it says this, the name of the Lord is our tower. It's the name of Jesus that is our tower of refuge. Now, we talk about that name a lot, don't we? we? We talk about how great the name is. We sing the name of Jesus. We believe it's a sacred name. We believe that, that his name is never to be taken lightly. That's why the third commandment, right, of, of the Ten Commandments is there. It says, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because God's name has weight to it. It has power to it. When we use it flippantly, it, it loses some of that in our lives. That's why you should be careful that when you smash your finger not to say, oh, God, or Jesus. Come on. Why? Because his name is sacred. His name has power. His name is, wait, what is, you know what the word vain means? It just means without purpose. So you use his name without purpose. I believe some people can even, sometimes when they're praying, use God's name vainly. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, this, God, 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 right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they're not even thinking about it. They're just kind of throwing his name around. Listen, it is important that we, and I'm not trying to, like, condemn you today, but listen, it is important that we treat that name like it is above every other name, that it is the most, the most, the sweetest name that will ever come off my lips is the name of Jesus. The greatest thing that I can ever say is Jesus. It's the most powerful thing. So I should never use that name flippantly. I should never use that name like it's just kind of common vernacular, like like the, <laughs> right? And we use it like that all the time. So I'm just encouraging you that put some weight on that name. Come on. That weight, there's already weight to it. But what about from you? What's the weight like? Now, Philippians 2, 9 
through 11 says this. Let's talk about the name of the Lord real quick. God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you know that at the end of the age, that everyone will gather around his throne, righteous and unrighteous, and they will bow their knee, and they will confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord. Everything will bow. Come on, are you with me? Some of us are choosing to bow now at the right time. Come on. Some will choose to bow later at the wrong time. We need to help them make it the right time. Everything will bow. Jesus says this. He said in John 14, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. We can ask for anything in his name and he'll do it. Now, the problem is, is we've kind of made the name of Jesus. We've kind of used it vainly like this heavenly password, kind of a magic potion, a a formula, right? In fact, sometimes like um, when we pray, we kind of feel like that if at the end of the prayer, if we don't say in Jesus name, that like our prayer is somehow less powerful, right? Because we didn't verbalize it. Listen, the only way that you're able to pray is in the name of Jesus, If it wasn't for Jesus, you would have no access to the Father. So every prayer you pray is really in Jesus' name, whether you say it at the end or not. So don't feel condemned and don't let somebody correct you with a religious spirit after you pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? How many of y'all ever had somebody correct you like that? Jesus juked you. And uh, so you're just like, oh, come on, give me a break, right? Like the only way I was able to pray is because of the name of Jesus. Now, should we use the name of Jesus when we pray? Absolutely. Is there power on it? Absolutely. But don't get all religious thinking that there's something magical about a word that you're just throwing around that's just become common to your vernacular, and you're not even thinking about when you say it anyway. It's just like you saying amen. You're just exchanging it with Jesus' name which might not be a good idea if you're just using it flippantly. Now, listen, the words are significant, but the faith and the authority we exercise make our prayers effectual. You can say the name of Jesus 50 times in fear, and nothing's going to happen. Right? I just... I had this demon show up. Have you guys heard these stories before? I had this demon show up in my room, and I said the name of Jesus like 50 times. And you're saying it out of fear, but you don't have it with any authority. You're you're using it with fear and doubt, and you're like, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening when I pray because you don't put any weight on it. You're just throwing it around. How about you just speak it once and watch demons tremble? Well, what's the difference between you saying it, just kind of, oh, name of Jesus, and then someone else going, Jesus, and demons go, bam, it's off. Or you just walk in the room in the name of Jesus without even saying anything, and they flee. Because you're walking with the authority because you know it's on you. Rather than functioning out of fear. It's like you're using his name vainly, actually, when you do that. Don't use his name in fear. Now, check this out. Because I want to challenge you. We need to pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, are you with me? But when you say that name, you, you put weight on it. You're not just like, oh, Jesus. Right? Now, John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, there's a story. Now, Peter uh, and John were walking around this gate. There was this gate in the town called Beautiful, and there was this guy that was lame, and, uh, or blind. Was he blind? 
He's lame. He's lame. That's right. He's lame. He is so lame. And uh, he was so lame he couldn't even walk. And so he was there. And uh, <laughs> and so he's there, and he's asking for money. Right? And then they were like, they're like, hey, you got some money? Like, oh, man, we ain't got any money. <laughs> but we can tell you this, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And what happened? He got up and walked. And so people got mad about it because people just get mad when God shows up for some reason. People get really happy, and people get really mad. And usually the people that get really mad are a religious spirit. And can I say this about the religious spirit? Is the religious spirit isn't owned by the church. The world has a religious spirit as well. In fact, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in our society right now about right and wrong, that's a religious spirit. You don't have to have God to have a religious spirit. You just got to have a value system. Everybody's religious. Every person is religious. Everybody has a value system. That's all religion is. We've kind of made it kind of spooky. And oh, I'm not religious. I just you are religious. Come on. Trust me, you are. No, man, I just love the Lord. But you have a set of values you live by, right? Yeah. It's not a, it's a relationship. I know it is. I know, I know. Okay. I know you sound more trendy when you say that. Okay. We can talk about that later. All right. So these people get all mad. They're all upset. They come up to Peter and John, and they're like, man, what are you doing? What kind of authority do you have? So they come up, and they get them, and this is what they say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, there is no one in sal- no, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven which, which we must be saved. No other name. Allah, Buddha, whoever are, no other name can save you. Only the name of Jesus can save you. So the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They didn't have a whole lot of knowledge, but they had a whole lot of power. How did they have power? It says this, they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. See, the difference between them and then what we see in Acts chapter 19, if you guys want to write that down, there's a story about these demons and these people trying to drive these demons out. The demons were called the seven sons of Sceva. And there were these people there trying to drive out these demons. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, that Paul speaks about. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They were doing that thing, right? The Jesus that we don't know, we're using his name. We're trying to pull a little weight here because we know Jesus is powerful. And so they try to do that, and you know what happens? Actually, something does happen. The demons actually overpower these people and beat them up. But they said the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. Listen, it's one thing to know the name It's another thing to know the man. And the difference between Peter and John is they knew the man. They knew the man. So when they spoke, they had the power. Why? Because they had the person. The person is what brought the power. The identity of Jesus is what they were talking about, not some word that was written on a page or that they heard at the Google News that morning. They had the power because they had the person. So it's one thing to know the name. It's another thing to know the man. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? It's interesting that the demons knew who Paul were, was. Doesn't heaven don't just know your name? The demons will know your name if you're doing something significant for God. Because when you wake up, they tremble. 
Because you carry the name of Jesus. You don't just say it. And these guys were just saying it. Peter and John carried it. There's power on that name. We can run to refuge to him because there's power on that name. We can take refuge in in his identity. See, his identity is our refuge. It's not the words on a screen. Come on. People get, you know, this movement of people, well, you got to call him Yeshua. Listen, okay, that's what you want to do. It's great. You're getting caught up in, in the letters of something written down on paper or something that's coming off your tongue. We're talking about the man, Christ Jesus, the risen one, the one who rules and reigns from heaven and on the earth. We're talking about Jesus, that name that every knee, that every demon, that every bit of sickness, the discouragement, disease is going to bow to. That name, that's who we're talking about. So, so get off your little kicks and get rid of your religious spirit and start recognizing this, that his identity is our refuge. So when we speak the name, we're speaking of who he is, not just his title, not just what we call him. Now, one of the one of the words I want to explore today is found in Psalm ninety one, verse one, that we read this morning, and it says this: that those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Of the Almighty, everybody say Almighty, Almighty. Now, listen, that word in the Hebrew for Almighty, the name in the Hebrew is actually El Shaddai. Everybody say that. Say, El Shaddai. Come on, you'll sound real Jewish. Say, El Shaddai. You'll sound real spiritual. Say it again. El Shaddai. Now, this, yeah, okay. Now, this word. Now, there's there's a law in reading Scripture called the law of first mention. So, basically, that means that whenever Scripture is written, whenever that word first shows up, that that sets a precedent for everything else, that that becomes the standard that you read everything else in, in, in Scripture as from that instance is a reference point. Okay, so the first time that we ever see God, I mean, know that God has many names, many names, many titles, if you will. God has many titles. And the first time that he says, I am El Shaddai, was to Abraham. Now, to give you a little background, God, God made a covenant with Abraham. He was about 25 years old. This is Genesis chapter 12. He's like, man, I'm going to look up at the stars. I'm going to make your descendants like that. You're going you're gonna to own this land. You're going to be the man. I'm going to do it all through you. And God made this covenant with with Abraham. And so he's like he was like 25 years old. Or maybe 75. And so <laughs> so Abraham and Sarah yeah, big difference. Okay. So, it says that in Genesis 12. All right. And Abraham and Sarah step outside, so th- th- they make this covenant, right? Okay, so they, God makes this covenant. He's like I'm going to do it through you. You're going to have descendants. They're going to be great and increase. And so what he does is he says, listen, okay, God, I got you. So his wife isn't getting pregnant. Now, the thing is, is there was a second person to the promise. It wasn't just to Abraham. It was to his wife, Sarah. Right? It was also to her. I mean, she was going to she was gonna do, do most of the work in this thing. Right? She was going to carry the baby. She was going to nurture the baby. And so there was another person. Well, they also had this woman named Hagar that was there. And Hagar was like like a slave. Now, not like a slave like you think of a slave when you 
because people use that sometimes to scrutinize Christianity. Oh, they embrace slavery. Well, you understand slavery in Scripture is totally different than what you know slavery as. <coughs> it was more like they were like a member of the house, actually. There was, they were like, you know, kind of like maybe like a maid that we would look at today, uh, but, but close to the family. So he has this woman that lives in their house, and he's like, well, my wife ain't getting pregnant. So Sarah, his wife, actually says, why don't you hook up with Hagar, and maybe the baby will have, it, will have that baby that way. And he's like, okay. So, you know, they do what they do to make babies. And uh, Hagar has a baby. It's Ishmael. And God said that this one is going to, like, he's, he's going to be a, fr- a source of frustration. He's going to be a source of contention, all this kind of stuff. And so all this kind of stuff happens. So then God shows back up again and says, let me renew my covenant with you. You stepped outside. You try to do it your way. This is not the way I have it. This isn't, this isn't the child of promise. I'm going to do it. Will you trust me? So Abram's like, oh, man. Okay. And at this time, his name's actually Abram. Okay, so he renews his covenant again, and then he comes again in Genesis chapter 17. It says, when Abram, Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. The first time he ever says it, he says, I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Serve me faithfully, live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell face down on the ground, that God said to him, this is my covenant with you. And he says the same thing that he's been saying. This is my covenant with you, Abram. This is the third time I'm telling you. I will make you the father of a great multitude of nations. What is more, I'm changing your name. What's more is I'm changing your name. I've never seen that before. What's more? So I'm going to make a great nation, but what's more, I'm going to change your name. Whoa. How is that more than that? Because you're not going to be Abram anymore. You're going to be Abraham. And you're going to, you're going to be the father of many nations. That's what the name Abraham means. Father of many nations. And I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. What's more is that I will change your name. What does that mean? This is what it means. God could have gave him the product, right? He could have worked out the product. The product would have came. All the children would have came. But God said, I'm not interested in you just producing. I'm interested in changing your identity. So it's not just something that you do is produce a lot of children. I'm changing who you are. You're not just a father because you have children. You've done that. I'm changing you. I'm changing you. I am El Shaddai. I'm changing you. How many know that when God wants to change us, God changes our identity by showing us his? God changes our identity by revealing his. So the the way that Abraham was transformed in this moment Over all these years, the thing that finally clicked, the thing that finally got it, that caused him to get it is what? God said, I am El Shaddai, and you are Abraham. This is who I am, and because this is who I am, this is who you are. So you want change in your life, it's not going to happen because you work real hard, because you're real disciplined, because you're just like me. You're not that disciplined. 
But I'm telling you, if we will encounter the greater reality of his identity, of who he is, if we will encounter him like Abraham encountered him, our identity will be changed. So God changes our identity by showing us his. God changes our identity by revealing his. What does that name mean? I want to explore that name today. What does that name mean, El Shaddai? The first thing it means is this. The word El in that El Shaddai, is, it, it, it's, the, it's a typical like, name that you would use to say God in the sense that he's all-powerful, that he's all-sufficient, that he's almighty, that he's sovereign in power. Uh, the actual general translation of the word actually means uh, to overpower, to deal violently, or to devastate. He will crush his enemies. So when we say the God Almighty, we're saying he's, he takes care of business. Right? It means that, like, don't mess with him. Right? Like, there's no power above him. Now, some of you need a good fear of the Lord in you to understand that. The, 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 he's not your homeboy. Right? But listen, what does that mean? That he would overpower us. Does God overpower us? Yes. But can I tell you this? That God doesn't have to use wrath to throw his weight around. Listen. I, I love this. Exodus 15. It says this. He, he says, I am a warrior. The Lord is my name. So when God showed up to Abraham, he's like, this is who I am. Listen, God doesn't need to be, unless you think God's being arrogant or he's being, uh, you know, prideful. He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to assert himself. He doesn't need to convince anybody of anything, right? When we, when we think pride and we think arrogance is because people want to portray something that they're not. God doesn't need arrogance or pride. He just is. And so when God's, God shows up, he's like, I am God. I am almighty. I take care of stuff. I overpower things. And he's like, oh, I know. But listen, he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to throw his weight around with wrath. And many times we're, we're afraid of these little terms like this, right? The almighty, the destroyer, right? The overcomer. We, we, we're careful of those words, right? Because we're afraid that people think, oh, man, maybe, maybe God's mean-spirited. Listen, God doesn't need wrath. He doesn't need to s- display his wrath to show how powerful he is. In fact, he already poured out his wrath on Jesus, so now he desires to overpower you with his goodness. Let me say that again. He doesn't need to display wrath or show how powerful he is. He, to show how powerful he is, he poured that on, on Jesus. So he desires to overpower you and overtake you with his goodness. So, what is it, so how does that fit in? Well, he starts crushing our enemies in our life. Now, when we talk about enemies, we're not talking about people that are coming up against us. We're talking about the enemies of our mind, bad mindsets. Come on. We're talking about the demonic. We're talking about discouragement. We're talking about sickness. We're talking about anything that Jesus already crushed at the cross. He is El Shaddai. He dealt with it. He is all-sufficient. He is all-powerful. The second part of that word is the word shod, which in the Hebrew, and y'all are going to have to be real mature here, the, the word is actually breast in the Hebrew, the word shod. It's just kind of weird, right? It's like, I'm El Shad, I'm the breast. It's strange, right? 
And I'm reading now, I'm like, okay, how am I going to get over this one? <laughs> this ain't going to preach well. By that, we're not talking about something that's been perverted in our culture. Um, our son, Uriah, Uriah Cole, is what, nine and ten months old, eight months old. I don't know what, you know me. Yeah, something like that. He's 75, 25. And, uh, and so <laughs> here he is. He's this baby that can't do anything on his own. There's one thing that he needs in his life. One. He did, really, he doesn't even need clothes. There's one thing he needs in his life, his mother. He doesn't even really need dad that much. I mean, I got, you know, I got to pay the bills and do all that, but he needs his mom more than anything. In fact, everything that he needs, she contains. When he's crying, when he's upset, when he's painful, you know what Leslie does? She feeds him because he finds comfort in her breast. Everything he needs. He doesn't need to eat meat. He doesn't need to drink water. All he needs is that one source. That one source that provides everything he needs. If he, gets, if he starts not feeling good, what does he need to do? He needs to eat more. Because there's things inside the woman's body that makes this milk that doctors can't even come close to competing with. They make all this stuff. And I'm not saying that, I mean, some people have a hard time, you know, breastfeeding and things like that. But, but the reality is, is there's no formula. There's nothing on planet Earth that is as powerful as a woman's breast milk for a baby. It's the best thing it can have. That's all that, they'll, that's all that they need to eat. They don't need to eat crackers. They don't need to have everything they need, all the fat they need, all the protein they need, all the calories they need, all the carbohydrates. Everything that they need to function is right there inside of mama. So when, when, when we take this word, El Shaddai, we're saying everything that we need, everything that we need is in there, is if we will just find our place in him, if we will allow him to be the one that nourishes us, he is all sufficient. He is the bountiful one. The third area in this works with this word as well, and you guys can probably make the con- connection, is, is the other derivative from this word is the mountain. The mountain. We speak El Shaddai, we're speaking of God's character, His might, His power, the all-bountiful one. But we're also speaking of that mountain, that solid structure, that fortress of a mountain, that thing that cannot be moved, the immovable one. And I love what David says here. I'm going to read this Psalm 121. <clears throat> I look up to the mountains. Where does my help does my help come from there? I look to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The Lord will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you. 
as you come and go, both now and forever. So when we think of a mountain, you know, in these days, a, a man would be running. If I can just get to a higher place, if I can just, if I can see a mountain, I can run there, I can hide, there'll be crevices in the mountain, there'll be places I can go. As we know, we know the psalmist, man, he was always writing about these things he's running from. He's like, if I can just find a mountain, if I can just get up to the mountain. And he's like, well, wait a second. Where does my help come from? I look to my hills, where, to the hills. Where, where does my help come from? Uh, not to the mountains, not to the hills, not run to the hills. My help comes from the maker of the hill, the mighty one. Go ahead and come up, Nate. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We will find mercy and grace at his throne. Many times, go ahead, Nate. Many times what we do in our lives, and we, we were talking about this for a minute, is that we run to things Right? We'll run to, you know, something bad happens, we'll run to social media. Something irritates us, we'll run to social media. Or we'll get on the phone, we'll call somebody to God. We run to things. We'll run to the medicine cabinet. We run to the doctor. We run to the psychiatrist. We run to all these different things. And God's saying, you know what? I'm the all bountiful one. I got everything you need. Why don't you just come to me? In me, I provide the shelter. I provide the strength. I provide all the resources that you need if you will come come to me. And that's why I love what Paul says here. The writer of Hebrews says here, right here, he says, so come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to get into some kind of religious structural format to just start running out to him. Listen, you are made righteous. That's why it says the righteous run to him. The only way that you can run to him is because of the price that Jesus paid. Because Jesus died because Jesus rose from the grave because Jesus established you as someone who has the rights to approach God because Jesus has that you can run to him anytime you want you don't have to let shame listen don't let shame hold you down because that's what we do we're like man God I know I screwed up again I know God I've ran to other places but here I am and he's like why are you freaking out you don't have to you, you don't you don't run you're not you don't have it figured out you're not doing that because you're so good. You're doing it because I'm so good. I put paved the way for you. You're righteous. Just come on. Come after me. Will you come? 